Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, a podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Eugenia Prattley and I'm a part of the HSBC team working really hard behind the scenes to help bring you this incredible series of female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you. And I'm absolutely delighted today to say that we are joined by Crystal Pang, the founder and CEO of Pickup. Crystal, welcome. Hi, hi Eugenia. Hi everyone. Really happy to be here. I just want to set the scene a little for those of you who may not realize the extent of the impact and achievements of Pickup in such a short amount of time. So Crystal's actually founded Pickup in 2016, so not too long ago, actually really short time. In that time, she's been able to raise $57 million in funding, going right through to a Series B, which she closed at the end of last year, and expanded across four different countries, which is absolutely phenomenal. So just that much money raising her up to a Series B and only starting the company in 2016 is absolutely phenomenal amount of growth and one that I think is a lot of lessons to be held, one that we don't hear about every day. And I think it's a real privilege for us to sit here and get to learn from you, Crystal, about your story and your journey. How about we start at the beginning? What is Pickup? Where did you get the idea for it? And how did this whole journey begin for you? Pickup is, as I've always put it, we are a data-driven company. We're a tech company, but just so happens to fall into a logistics sector. That's how I always frame it, because I always get this question of, oh, are you a logistics company or are you a tech company? I think what we're trying to solve here is one data transparency. I think there's like a lack of data transparency in the supply chain and logistics sector. So what we're doing here is to empower businesses. We want to build what we call an open, efficient, and holistic network so that when we interface with enterprises, they will be able to simplify some very complex supply chain needs because these are evolving as well. You can imagine um, maybe back then when there's only B2B or there's just retail outlets, things can be just dropped off pretty easily in a retail in the retail store. But now people are shopping and the needs are evolving as well. Mm. So they want things immediately. Back then you don't have like food deliveries or back then you don't think about like grocery deliveries or even temperature control deliveries. Even nowadays you have social sellers on Instagram or TikTok. All of a sudden you're an individual and you can be a merchant as well. And not only that you're selling within your city, all of a sudden, you can be selling pallets of, I don't know, like yoga mats, and then it will be sending to South Africa or going to US. So all of a sudden, you're facing this really enormous supply chain question, where to find women, where to find freight, where to find local transport. So Pickup is really trying to piece all these together without owning all these resources. We try to solve this cost, this flexibility, and also traceability for clients. So that's what Pickup is trying to do. And this idea came about when I was at Uber, um, <laughs> the previous, my previous job. I was running, I was an operations manager and one of the very early launch team member in Hong Kong. I realized that transportation is one type of network, but it's not as difficult because people can still 
hail a car and then try to get on the car. If something happens, you can still scream for help. But yeah. imagine parcels can talk. And then and sometimes parcels comes in different types, different sizes. It can be something frozen. It can be like something as big as a mattress. So even what vehicles can help you move these things or whether they have to get on a plane or get on a boat it's all very difficult to optimize so i think being an engineer at heart because for people who don't don't know i i was not born to do logistics i i started out as a software engineer and i was an engineer in boston for three three years before coming back to hong kong so it's a very intriguing question and i think it's very complex very difficult but it also brings a lot of satisfaction when it's working or when you see the impact you said at the beginning, the biggest issue with logistics and transportation, all of this is it's transparency. So yeah. when you started Pickup, but you're very fortunate that you have this software engineering background. So that comes naturally. But what you don't necessarily have is a logistics background. Yeah. How did you start your way in disrupting this and selling your story to others to help build what has become Pickup today? I cannot agree more that convincing or trying to sell this idea to someone who's been in the logistics business for decades uh, may not be as easy as it seems. It takes a lot of convincing. You need to just keep telling people why you believe in it. I think there's some sort of, you need to have the confidence in yourself and, and it will, it, people can see through you as well, right? Whether you're just doing a sales pitch mechanically or you truly believe in something. The first 20, 30, or even like the first 100 pitches to merchants has is difficult. And mm. talking about someone who's very seasoned to convince them that you do not need to invest in any capital expenditures, <laughs> but you will still able to be, you still solve the problem. I think it, it does take someone with an open mind. So not only that you need to keep doing it persistently and be shameless about it, you also need to pinpoint who within these group of people are more likely to embrace change. And once you spot these people who are decision makers, um, you try to show them what things can be like. So if you can move one person, then slowly you will have another follower. And once you start to have a track record, then it will be much easier for the third or the fourth or the fifth to come on board. I think that's a it's a really interesting point there. The fact that you did have to go through so many. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume there were no's. You heard a lot of those in the beginning to to try to get through to the one person who like, okay, I get it, I get where you're going with this. What were the top qualities that you looked for when you were meeting with VCs and investors? Because you've got some really good names on your board, don't you? We've got Swire, for example, here in, in Hong Kong and Asia. They're a phenomenal name. You've got Drive Catalyst on there, Reef Knot. So some really impressive names there. What were you looking for? A lot of times startups feel like it's almost a very one-way relationship. It's whether like this investor would just want to say yes or no, and they drive everything. But I see it as a, more like a partnership and not only, obviously financial, financial assistance is one thing, but you also want the investors to really understand what you're trying to achieve and what is the longer term vision? Because there will be some investors out there where they just want to drive sh short term gains and it's all about just the price and just about the valuation. I think I would try to avoid this type of investors. 
when I speak to them, I do want to see the resonance and that they can see how painful the problem is and what we are able to do. And obviously, we need to hold ourselves accountable as well, right? When we say we will do something, that that's part of the investor relations management that will really show them how this is done. And I think this will foster like a better relationship with the VC and with the investors as well. So they need to they need to understand the problem and they also need to be patient. I, th I think that's the that's what I would look for. I think it's really inspiring that you had such a clear definition of what you wanted in an investor and in a partner, because we often hear it from founders as they're like, I want any investor, I'll take anyone. But actually taking that time and holding up those values is probably going to serve you, serve you more in the, in the long-term future as well. Yeah. And I think it has to do with the sector where we're in because the logistics sector is not like something that is created from nothing. It has been around for, for a long time. And the way pickup disrupt this sector is trying to digitalize a lot of these people. And we're trying to integrate with multiple partners because this network cannot be built alone. At least that's what we believe, that we need to collaborate with a lot of parties. If you want to drive price and drive flexibility and drive speed, all at the same time, something's got to give, which is yeah. collaboration and crowdsourcing. So if, to do that, it will not be something that just happened overnight. And now, as I said, you're in four different countries. How did you do that? And at what were the points where you knew we need to go up, we need to go bigger? Yeah, it's a great question. I think every entrepreneur will at some point run into questions like this. The, when we started pickup, we did not have a product. Product did not exist. Basically, we went out with just one question. Like we, we said, why don't we go out, talk to 30 clients and then ask them this question. If, we, if you are given a service that is not delivered in two days and also not delivered in one hour, is somewhere in between. In terms of pricing, we'll also price you somewhere in between <laughs> the one hour and then the, the two days. Are you willing to pay this price? And will you deliver with me if I can commit to this service and price? So that's how we started Pickup because we do believe like the optimization can be anywhere in between. At that time, there's no product. When you start realizing things scale, it, it almost feels very natural. Like there's like a push from the back. It's when like people will start commenting and say, yes, I, I don't believe in a perfect product. And then you will find your customers. It's always like a balance. Like you, you try to go out, you try to run more agile style. Like you figure out what people want. You go back and try to give them something preliminary try to test the waters. If it works, then you will see the buy-in. So the, the scale, the scaling effect will kick in almost like naturally. And then, and that's the time when you realize, okay, certain things can be productized. Certain things should not be productized because there's no, that, that there's no uptake or there's no one, no one saying yes to it. There's no set rules, but, but I would caution all entrepreneurs like the, there's no such thing of this perfect, thing that you can just create and wait until you, you you're ready to roll out we've always been very scrappy like we almost have release every week and things that get changed like every, hot fix like every day I want to now if we can just get some do's and don'ts from you on that pitching process so confidence is number one really believing in yourself we've got that what else would you say is a must do and what is a do not or avoid if you can I would say be genuine. At the end of the day, 
investors they know they are making a gamble. The VC in the VC world, like when sometimes when you're pre-revenue, mm -hmm. what can what can they measure? It's really looking at you as the the person. Do they trust you? Do they believe that you will be the person to turn the company to something big? So it's almost like that you are in the interview and you're interviewing with them, the founder and the team. Being genuine is definitely one thing VC investors will look at because when things do go south, things get challenging. You need to be the one who will tell them that I'm sticking around and I'll steer this company and back on the right track. You cannot be someone who, who said, I'm just going to say bye and <laughs> I'll find another job. And then we'll try to get a quick exit. Be being authentic and be able to make sure this message gets through to the investor. To me, I think it's super important. I like that. And what's what? So I think that's a really good point there about they're investing in you, particularly if you're pre-revenue. So it couldn't be, to me, that sounds terrifying, but also incredibly empowering at the same time. So a real mix there of what it must be like to go through that process. But now what about the don'ts? What should you, in your experience, what would you advise people to avoid doing in, in that journey? What not to do? For, first of all, don't answer like some. Don't make up your answers. If you don't know something, just say you don't know. You will look it up. Yeah. Like you will, yeah. Don't pretend that you know everything. I think that really destroy trust. I think what investors look for is someone who is able to lead and delegate and manage. That means you will not be the person doing everything. There's no need to tell people that you know, I can code, I can market, I can do this, I can do that. I mean, I, I can do everything. That's not how, yes, they're investing in you, but they're investing in a person who can likely create a bigger team and manage and run the company in the long run. So don't try to tell them that you're the superman. Brilliant. I've never heard anyone say either of those two things before, but you're absolutely right. It's really clear from your story today that people and developing the right culture has really been a key to your success. and. That is something that I think we all benefit from in our careers is having a workplace, whether it's one that you're leading or one that you're a part of that values people. So thank you so much. And just a huge thank you from us at HSBC for taking the time out to share your story with us today. And thank you so much for being a part of the HSBC Female Entrepreneur Series. Yeah. Thanks, Eugenia. And thanks, everyone. It's really like amazing. I, I'm really glad that um, I can be a guest here. Brilliant. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a good day. Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast mini-series dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses.